Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 70 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown. In this episode, I am joined by Aaron Ross, my good friend, dear brother, who won our most recent store championship running Spectre Cell. He was also playing Scott, who was running Spectre Cell. They played each other in the final. It was kind of a weird tournament, though, just like based on how the numbers um, shook out in the sense of we had lots of buys, encouraging people to show up. And because of that, there were lots of people in the end, in the end of the tournament who were two and one or three and one. I can't remember exactly what it was, but Aaron played Scott. So Scott was undefeated. Aaron played him in the final and beat him. So, and it was an awesome, awesome game. And he's going to give a great report on that. Before we get started, I'm going to give a quick news intro logistics segment. That's going to take us to about the 640 mark. If you don't want to listen to that, just skip ahead. Otherwise, we're going to do the intro, we'll do Aaron's report, and then we'll have our conclusion. Thank you guys so much. Love you all. All right, here is some quick news and a little bit on the state of the meta. So right now, we are after, so right now we are post store championships. We are waiting for regionals. It is currently September 22nd. We expect the regionals will be starting late November, early December. They will go for about three to four months. And then, I mean, this sounds kind of crazy, but then a month or two after that, it's going to be world. So we have done U.S. nationals. We've done Canadian nationals. We not, no, I'm sorry, not Canadian nationals, North American championships. And so lots of, there's, there are still some major tournaments going down. Italian nationals was actually today. Um, and that was won by our Lucius, ER Lucius on Basel. I'm not totally positive what his name is. I think it's Emmanuel, but a it was awesome. Greg Monson, the runner-up at Worlds, was there, and he took second place in this tournament. We're going to get him on the podcast later. Um, but right now, like we're kind of in just like a mid a midpoint. Regionals are regionals are a few months away. We are kind of I wouldn't say like testing because it seems like right now the question is what is going to beat Specter Cell? Can anything reliably beat Specter Cell? Is there anything that is a just a tough matchup for Spectre Cell that can also hold its own against other things. Obviously, I've been like playing all the various iterations of the box and been having a lot of fun with it. I, th I think it does fine against Spectre Cell, which is, you know, that, that could just be me and that could just be... It is very, very few games. I've only got probably three or four games versus um, Spectre Cell with it. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how all that shakes out. In addition, right now, the Slack channel is having a Vassal League. So what we're doing is we are trying to get lots of people playing games on Vassal. And how we're doing that is people are signing up in the in the Slack channel for this league. And what you do with the league is you're assigned an opponent every week. You play a game. You don't have to have the same list every week. You play your game. You, you report it. People are kind of testing out new things. I'm not. I'm just playing. I'm testing out the box. <laughs> um, and But like people are playing different things. It's not like a jank tournament, but it's definitely like kind of more experimental. I'm running Ahsoka. I'm not running... Dracotta and I'm running gin as opposed to you know double smugglers like there's lots of things that are going down and people are kind of like doing things like that like testing around the seams my first opponent um it was uh Bomberman he was he's from Lithuania he's a super cool guy he was running IG Hondo Sabine and like other things so you know it's kind of like this they're all good figures but it's kind of like an interesting combination that's what's going down um that's what's going down right now I encourage everybody to join the Vassal League and to join the Slack channel if you want to get more Vassal games in. It is such great practice. It is awesome to be able to have a forum in which you can test out new lists. And it's, you know, it's somewhat rigorous in the sense of like people, everyone's good and everyone, it's not like people are 
trying to lose or anything like that. It's a great way to, and it's also great for new players. Like if you're a new player, you know, you're going to get smacked around a little bit, but that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a great way to learn as you're preparing for regionals, preparing for like the big tournaments that are coming up in the competitive season. So we encourage everyone to join. If you're on the Slack channel, you should be looking for the next announcement regarding the Vassal League. We're already into it right now, so you can't join but you should definitely be thinking about that for the next season. It's going to be awesome. And we're also going to think about like doing prize support. We'll come up with something cool that we can do. Um, and if you're not on the Slack channel, join us by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. And then you can get in and you'll have a ton of fun with that. I don't think there's a ton of other news. We're probably going to be not getting any updates from FFG for a while regarding Imperial Assault. We've just got Lothal. It's, I mean, the the effect of Spectre Cell and the effect of figures like Hondo, Sabine, independent of Spectre Cell, um, Thrawn, I think it's going to have a pretty big impact on the meta. Spectre Cell especially. I mean, like, it's just it's just such a clearly strong list. And so many things that were, that were good against other things might not be good against Spectre Cell. I think Han Rangers is a good example of this, especially if um, Spectre Cell's running Doubt. So, you know, there's just like a lot of like interesting meta fluctuations right now. However, Greg was running Spectre Cell at Italian Nationals and he lost to an unshakable Vader list, which I think the, you know, the slack armchair theorizing was that that wasn't a good matchup. I think Vader, I mean, like who's Vader not good against? But the thing is, is that Vader support, it was thought, was just not enough to punch through Spectre Cell. So we'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm going to get Greg on and we'll see what he says about that. Anyway, that is the news. I don't have anything else. This um, episode is going to be awesome. It's going to be Aaron Ross. He's going to be giving, we're going to be talking about Spectre Cell. He won our most recent store championship running it. It was kind of a weird store championship because of how like the buy situation <laughs> broke down. We were giving, we gave buys to people who are going to be late to the tournament just because we wanted to encourage attendance. And it was a good, it was a well-attended tournament. But because of that, in the last, I think at the end of the tournament, there were four or five of us who were two and one or three and one, I think. Um, and so because of that, um, it was kind of just like a strange tournament. However, Scott was undefeated going into the last game. Aaron played him, and that was kind of like the championship game, and Aaron won. They were both running Spectre Cell. Aaron was running Extra Armor. I think Scott was running Doubt. So we're going to have a... Aaron's going to give his report on that. Um, but besides that, I've got nothing else. And we encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash zionsfinest. I love you all, and this is going to be a great episode. Thanks. Hello, and welcome to episode 70 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown, and I am joined by my brother, Aaron Ross. Hello. Aaron has briefly appeared on one of our previous podcasts. He showed up on the episode after our first store champ of this season, but... Um, we want him to come on because he won our most, our last, our final store champ of the season with Spectre Cell, and we're going to ask him some questions about that. First off, before we get into it again, we encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon. We're going to patreon.com slash zionsfinest. And finally, as we are transitioning out of store championships into store kits, into the Q3 store kits, and preparing for regionals, if you have got OP results for any tournament and we want like larger tournaments i mean not like 20 people but if you've got six to eight and above i would love to get the results of your store championships we want to get as much data as we can as we're going into the meta season and it's also awesome because we've got this google doc that allows everybody to see the top performing lists and kind of like the trends in the meta including what people are playing around you so it's it's awesome very very awesome so if you have op results please get them to me. But Aaron, without further ado, 
re and properly introduce yourself to the listeners. Okay, great. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Aaron Ross. Um, I've been playing Imperial Assault for about two and a half years, but most of that has been in campaign. Thankfully, I've got such a lively skirmish community here in Utah, supported by Zion's Finest, so uh, I've had some friends kind of encourage me to be more involved in that community, and that's gotten me out to a number of store championships. In fact, the first tournament I ever attended <laughs> was a regional uh, two seasons ago. And uh, I had such a good experience with that, that when I have the time, I've been playing a competitive skirmish. But because my background is primarily in campaign, and that's where I usually play the game, I find myself piloting unique figures or lists that deal with heavy hitters a little bit more successfully than more swarm lists. And when I first got into the game, uh, Blaze Troopers had just won the World Championships in the previous season, and everyone was still running that. And so uh, the game has become, with Spectre Cell and you know Queen pieces like IG Han and Vader in the end of the last season, a little bit more Aaron-friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of where I, I come in on Skirmish. Uh, I was able to attend three of the store championships this season, uh, but that's all I've been able to really do uh, really since regionals last year. And so I hope that I'm able to give kind of a more outside perspective on on some things where uh, I've been away from the game for a little bit and am now returning. Yeah, that is actually awesome. You, you did, you were really busy. Well, I mean, you were busy kind of during the world season as we were prepping right. for worlds. And I don't know if you were never really planning, were you ever planning on going to worlds? You know, I'd considered it. I did go to the Denver Regional out at yeah. Wizard's Chest. Had a great time. Unfortunately, uh, had had kind of some awkward matchup luck. Ended up uh, playing four Swiss rounds, half of which were against other members of Zion's Finest who traveled out there with me. And those were my two losses in Swiss. And so I didn't end up making the top cut. Yeah. But I had such a great time that I did consider it. But I'm actually uh, I'm I'm back in school finishing my undergraduate right now. Uh, I'm getting a theater degree. I do work as a, a software programmer, uh, but have kind of started to foray a little bit into programming for live events, lighting, and projection. And mm -hmm. so uh, I'm getting kind of a more academic background in that field, and that was just really ramping up around yeah. the time Worlds hit last year. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So that was really the only season that you really missed out on. I mean, you might not have been, I guess that was kind of when we really started kicking into high gear. We did go to Denver and you, and you went to that. And then after that was, we had our regional, then things got really busy. So. Right. And one thing that I think is interesting that I wanted to point out tonight is that at that regional out in Denver, uh, a really good skirmish player, John Grasser ended up winning that regional mm -hmm. with a list that kind of reshaped what we felt was the new measuring stick for that meta. Yes. He made a list that was viable with Vader. Um, it was a Vader palp jets list, kind of an early iteration of what would eventually become unshakable Vader. Mm -hmm. And the way that he was able to pilot that and make that viable and the way we kind of discussed it, there was a little bit of a post-mortem with those of us who had kind of stuck around to watch the final mm. Vader kind of became the new, you have to be this tall to ride the right figure. If yep. your list can't handle Vader, or at least find a creative way to make up the points by avoiding him, then it's not going to be viable in that meta state. And now Spectre Cell is kind of doing the same thing. Mm 
And so I remember how disheartened everyone was after seeing the way that list performed Mm -hmm. and after kind of talking with some of the other top players who had been playtesting that list. And it's encouraging to me, actually, with reference to how frustrated some people have been with how dominant Spectre starts to feel as it's kind of come out, that eventually such a smart community and such a large community of high-tier players will find a way to deal with Spectre Cell the same way we dealt with Vader. Yep. Vader did an upsweeping worlds. In fact, I think less than half of the uh, top lists were from any of the three factions. No, no faction really dominated last year. And that yeah. was a really healthy meta state. So I'm trying to be optimistic on the basis of that and the way that the meta kind of evolved to deal with Vader. I'm, I'm encouraged that perhaps we'll find ways to deal with Spectre. I totally agree with that. We are going to talk about that. Um, we are going to talk about that because I am, I am fully convinced that Spectre Cell is a list of the kind and maybe even stronger than Vader, than the unshakable Vader, just because Vader is this one really strong figure coupled with these two, you know, really state like stable, efficient units and jets. Whereas Spectre Cell is kind of a different beast, but it, what I mean is the power level is clear, right? It's a clearly a strong power level, but the more I have thought about this, the less worried I am about it for the reasons you mentioned, eventually I do think we are going to solve it. I love the fact that this is something that is going to be a great entry point for new players. I think right. the fact that we can give new players this list and they are instantly going to have a top tier competitive list that did not require a ton of money to buy into. I mean, that is really one thing that we've been asking for kind of in a different form in terms of like a, a skirmish fix for the game. But if what we, what we start with is this, the squad that anyone can buy and with a core, so not including the core box for a hundred dollars, you can get everything you realistically need for Spectre Cell. That is awesome. That is a great, great, great spot to be in. So, yeah. And I I don't want to get too ahead of uh, the recap here, but just to kind of preview where we're headed, the final was Spectre versus Spectre. Yes. Uh, We were the only two Spectre lists that showed up, and I actually had a loss on the way there uh, (laughs) to our lovely host, Kenny Brown. (laughs) Yeah. There... There are lists that can deal with it, and and I have a little bit of an awkward approach to the box because I haven't had a chance to really play against that archetype a whole lot. It's a little yeah. bit unorthodox, um, and I I think I th- I think could I get a little bit more practice there? Um, I'd like to test that a little bit more because it's a little bit interesting to see if Spectre will have enough attackers to really bust through that wall. Yeah. But in so much as the final was two Spectre lists we had drastically different command card decks. And so another thing that maybe has seen a little bit of alarmism as Spectre has started to really rapidly take over what looks like the future meta state, at least for the next little bit, is the idea that the Spectre cell, because it's a 39-point list, you have a skirmish upgrade you can kind of futz with. Uh, We also made different choices there. Uh, Scott Nielsen... Great, great player, won a store championship earlier this season in Utah, was the uh, the player I, I matched up with at that final. Actually made a different choice there with that remaining point. So that's a little bit of design space. But the big 
difference, I think, between a totally prescribed list where there's no wiggle room, no design space at all, and what Spectre Cell actually gives us is that the command card deck can really tech Spectre Cell differently depending on how you decide to emphasize uh, different parts of the way that the list performs. And I'm sure that'll get solved uh, yeah. the same way, you know, the value of that one point, you know, skirmish upgrade you can kind of sneak in there. Uh, will probably be solved. We'll figure out what the optimal choice is, I'm sure, or someone else who's more skilled at the game will do so. But <laughs> I, I do think that there's a little bit more excitement and, and, and design opportunities when it comes to the list than uh, I, I've seen maybe discussed in some spaces, and so that's encouraging. Yeah, I would also say that I think a, a, another good comparison for this, and I will, over the next several months, just so everybody is aware my most frequent reference point for Spectre Cell is going to be like Unshakable Vader because mm -hmm. I think that while the lists are obviously different, they perform similarly in that what they're using is efficient stat lines and consistent attacks, right, in order to... And very the, durable you know, figures. Yeah, and very durable figures, right? Like they're using Vader and E-Jets as opposed to Ezra, um, Kanan, Zeb, and Sabine, right, mm -hmm. in order to eliminate your opponent and obviously this this these things are different because vader and the jets are really able to play the objective game where a specter doesn't really isn't really able to do that and right. also specter cells attacks are just bonkers right like so i mean it's kind of a weird mix of like a, a empire list scum list but i think the comparison is helpful just because it helps like frame what we're looking at in terms of it's not this is not the first time that we have seen figures that are very tough to defeat right like by themselves and so it's a little bit different in that instead of it being vader who is very tough to bring down and jets were very tough to one shot with zillow and the ability to pitch cards and agile now it's like it's kind of different but i'm, I'm gonna keep using that uh that comparison just to kind of like reference things and right the, the same number of activations they were the both hit yeah. six which yep. hurts their objective running i mean even unshakable unshakable vader with like uh, the reg riots that people started to putting in, put in that list as it got closer to worlds yeah. uh, was better at running objectives than Spectre is. I, I think yeah. that's its weakest point right now. Absolutely. And so the reason why I'm bringing the comparison up at this point is to say that unshakable Vader lists, even lists that they're, like their their deployment cards are the exact same are played differently by different kinds of people, right? Like, so Scott brought in cross-trained riot. He brought in um, cross-trained regular riots, right? Which obviously affects his command decisions. People that he played at Worlds and people I played at Worlds, like Nick Bossom from Seattle, he did not bring in cross-trained riots. He brought a bid, right? And so like there are, and I know that doesn't sound like a lot that you're thinking, oh, that's probably just like the difference of four or five command cards across things. But like, that really does make a big difference. And so, you know, I think we're going to see something kind of, I think that's what we're going to see in Spectre is that I, I've got a particular way that I think Spectre needs to be built, which is going all in on pummel, melee, mobility cards for Ezra and Kan Kanan. But I'm not right. positive that's right, right? And I think that there is going to be a lot of, like people will bring in Assassinate for Sabine, which I wouldn't, I would not do, or Heightened Reflexes right. for Sabine. No right? And I think, yeah, I think we're going to see things like that, but it's going to be really interesting to see how that gets played. Yeah. Yeah, I, I awesome. agree. As we go kind of through the recap of the tournament, I think we can kind of discuss a little bit what we think is working right now or what maybe didn't feel as optimal. But that's still only one tournament. It's going to be a long season and there'll be a yeah. lot of opportunity to adjust.
Absolutely. All right. Well, you brought it up. Let's get into it. Let's uh, start with the recap. Yeah. So I was actually fortunate enough to come in with a buy. And so I come into round two being able to spectate a little bit. And I want to talk because I didn't have a skirmish in that first round a little bit about what I observed in Scott's matchup because I was watching mm -hmm. that pretty closely. I wanted to see how his Spectre Cell list was performing. This is the first time I'd really played it. Um, I, I played a casual skirmish twice with it and uh, didn't get a great feel. So I, I really wanted to see the way he piloted it against another really skilled player, uh, Robert Mosinger, who was running mm -hmm. another exciting archetype I know a lot of people have talked about, which is scum, victory point manipulation, yep. temporary alliancing, Sabine in. It's got... Um, it's got price on their heads. It's got let's make a deal. It's got Java. It's got rebel graffiti. It's got pickpocket. Uh, he he made the choice to bring in, and I don't do this with the list I was kind of fooling with with scum victory points. He really likes worth every credit, and yep. he ended up almost winning that skirmish for him against Spectre, which was really exciting to see. But one thing I did notice um, that made me a little worried because I had made the same decision is that Pummel just – it never paid off. The action really? economy um, is so high for Spectre um, that – I mean if you can pull it off and you're adjacent to two things or one thing that can take two hits – that's great, but Robert's list was kind of had some flimsy enough you know, figures and was able to kind of position and play around that idea, knowing that you know Ezra and Kanan are probably running Pommel or something similar. Um, I saw one thing happen uh, that actually happened to me later, which is that Pommel got played to double attack a figure that could probably uh, that would probably survive the first attack, and it just got demolished, and so that mm -hmm. second action was completely wasted. Um, and that actually ended up happening to me later on. And the other thing I noticed is that knowing that that is a threat was, uh, with the exception of maybe the box is usually pretty easy to play around. Yeah. Um, you know that Kanan and Ezra want to be running together and you know that, you know, how much pressure they're able to apply in kind of one part of the map and Robert did a really good job of kind of spreading his assets in such a way that they couldn't just dive into the heart of his list and blow him to pieces yeah. because the heart of his list wasn't really located in one particular point in the map. And he was kind of just running around getting victory points where he could. Yeah, and he had, he did have a lot of bodies, right, mm -hmm. for that purpose. Yeah, which is another reason I think, I think Pummel is rough because uh, unless you've got like the brutality situation where you've got two different targets, mm. Ezra and Kanan are – are pretty likely with any amount of card support or dice luck to one shot a lot of the figures in the game, especially yeah. if they're not unique. And so if you're attacking, you know, a flimsy or unique figure like Kara or maybe a Hondo with his only nine health, I say only, but you know, when yeah. you've got a figure that can do like <laughs> 10 pierce three, what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, if you got you know, Greedo, it happened with Greedo is actually the figure he ended up one-shotting. And, and, um, oh, no, mm. I, I, that's a mistake. He actually ended up parting gift Greedo, which is another thing I want to discuss. But but the one thing I wanted to talk about with that skirmish is that um, I felt watching that, 
and kind of in my own experience that doubling down on the attack capabilities of these figures felt to me like overkill. I got the sense that doubling down on on attack cards like Pummel or Assassinate for Sabine is that it just feels like overkill most of the time. When Spectre Cell wants to eliminate a figure, it's really good at doing that. Their dice are consistent. Uh, your most aggressive attacker is probably Ezra, and he's probably running with Kanan, which means he's he's probably changing at least one die to a chosen side, yeah. and maybe even re-rolling another. So it's yeah, Hera's around somewhere to kind of hedge bets when it comes to dice. They're just so consistent, and and I notice sometimes that uh, you know. Spec, uh, some figure, Kanan, Ezra, Sabine, Zeb, would just roll eight damage against something that needed five yeah. to die. It, this is eight pierce three. And so against black dice, they're just blowing things apart. And yeah. so unless you want to limit your positioning such that you've got to try to set up pummel, or you're hoping that your opponent kind of boxes in somewhere, um, which against the scum list with all of its figures... Or I, I played against a kind of Imperial Swarm list with Death Troopers in the next round I'll talk about, where, where Pummel just never got set up. In fact, I put it on the bottom of my deck, Wow! I think four different times with Heroic Effort, because it just seemed like the least useful thing in hand. And because of how often that happened, I'm going to try kind of moving away from Pummel. I didn't bring Assassinate, but... Um, there's only one figure in the list that can use it. So uh, I, I don't think that's something I'll experiment with. What I think you do is you double down on how difficult they are to kill because mm. you've got four guns. And as soon as one of those guns goes down, if you're not also doing work and removing figures and you're kind of ahead of the game at that point, then Spectre Cell just lost 25% or more of its damage. Yeah. And that's rough. Yeah. So uh, I kind of built my deck around the idea that I don't want any of these guys to ever die because as soon as they do, it snowballs. Mm. And that was the major difference in our command decks is I have, uh, let's take a look. I've got Brace for Impact. I've got Stealth Tactics. Um, I've got Second Chance. I've got Dying Lunge. I've got Heart of Freedom. So I've got a lot of cards that are recovering damage, that are adding extra dice, that yep. are sustaining through, you know, taking damage equal to your health, things like that. But that was kind of my basic observation from that first skirmish. And my first matchup in round two was against a really fun creative list. It was Thrawn. Uh, this is Kent Spafford. He's in our Slack channel. Great player. Yeah. Thrawn, Palp. Temporary Alliance bringing in Hondo and then Death Troopers. Mm. And Hondo with Death Troopers was kind of interesting because he he chains off of their ability to activate someone else. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Because he's six points or, or fewer. So so that, that, that was kind of fun. I, I don't know if the synergy was quite yeah. there, but it was a really fun idea. And he's just throwing tons of Death Troopers at me. And this is where I felt good about my choices command deck-wise. Because, God bless him. I'm sorry, Kent. I know you're going to listen to this. It ended up being 42-0 because I never lost a figure. Oh, my gosh. And it, I, I felt Ugh. gross. It was gross. 
And so I, I'm just one-shotting everything I'm attacking. I think the only figures that I didn't remove, you know, the only targets I didn't remove in one activation were things like Parting Gift that were in, like, uh, I think maybe some command cards here. And they're just, just dealt some more granulated damage. But anytime I actually attack something and focus it down, it, it, it died in one maybe 1.2 attacks so oh, and, and just nothing he he had even hondo i never paid him the points so he always <laughs> had his plus two and he had all these power tokens and it just it just didn't matter when i felt like i needed it i would play brace oh my gosh when uh i brought extra armor instead of doubt which is the other kind of thing the other thing i did to kind of double down on that defensive strategy yeah and those block tokens did work because uh, unless I'm matching up against Spectre Cell or maybe Scum Hunters in some cases, I'm not dealing with a lot of peers. And so all of my black dice are getting better. My white dice are more consistent That's now. That's a great point. And all of his Death Troopers and Thrawn handing out all of their block tokens. I, I've got two huge figures with Pierce 3 that just don't care. Yeah. And I've got Zeb's two red dice that just don't care. Yeah. And so... And Sabine's parting gift, and I, I, I think even Sabine's got. I, I need to take a look. Yeah, Sabine's got Pierce too. Yep. And so I'm getting rid of Zillow, you know, first thing in a round. Yeah. And then from there on out, it's the black dice and block tokens just had a really hard time keeping up. And so I think that's just kind of a matchup nightmare. I definitely don't think I played more skillfully. Yeah. But. That's a really rough matchup if if you've got a lot of like kind of small dink and dunk damage yeah. because a built-in block two on Ezra, mm. um, some some more block from extra armor and card support. It's just it's really hard to remove these big figures. Yeah, I've been um kind of astounded honestly at Ezra's durability. You know, you think that like ten health and a white die. Ten health and a white die. You're like that guy's got to die, but I mean, he's going to die. But two built-in block, two built-in block with a re-roll, right? With with the capacity to on the lamb. You know, it's just like right. Yeah, we'll get to that too. Yeah, yeah. But with Brash and with probably the best, excuse me, the best attack support command card for Spectre Cell. Tools for the job, yeah. probably, because it can apply to a couple of different figures. And and Ezra's kind of oversurging some of the time if he's not having to recover a lot. Yeah. And so the consistent damage of a red die mm. really, really helps him compared to, like, let's say you're only using tools on Ezra. I think tools for Ezra is more consistently useful than, like, assassinate for Sabine. That's a great point. That's a really um, great point, actually. And, and that's just me. I, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, Pierce 2 versus Pierce 3, I think, makes a difference in that, uh, yeah, the red die is only equaling the amount of damage for uh, that Assassinate is one-third of the time. But with you're kind of making up the difference with that extra Pierce a lot of the time as well. Yep. Uh, it seems like... Ezra is more consistently able to be aggressive. Mm. Brash, his extra block, Kanan giving him a, a reroll on his defense die, combined with Sabine's really shining when she's more versatile, 
she can double move and parting gift. And often I did more damage by doing that than I would have attacking and got her back to a safer spot. I feel that often Sabine's most efficient activation, depending on what the map kind of looks like, is going to be a double move and parting gift. And even if that's not always the case, her attack is solid. And the blast one is sometimes really great. But the flexibility, the versatility of her figure, I think diminishes how frequently assassinate is going to be useful because she's attacking a little bit less often. Whereas Ezra is often up in it, up in the melee, literally. He's a really consistent option for the extra attack that Spectre Cell gets by tapping their card, their Spectre Cell card. And so rather than getting out maybe one attack per round, if Parting Gift isn't a better option with a double move to get her to a defensible position or like claim points, Ezra's pretty consistently getting out one and a half attacks per round because I, I found, at least in my experience, that he was pretty consistently the best option for Spectre's. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with this. Well, then my second matchup <laughs> is against uh, Hassan Khan's box. No, uh, against <laughs> uh, Kenny. Kind of a funky version of the box. Do you want to talk real quickly about the yeah. difference between what you'd been running and what you brought? Yes, because I, I built this box. So I built this box specifically to beat Spectre Cell. So right. what I did was I... Which it did. Yes, it did. Um, but the, I, I learned a lot from this game. Um because it was I, I i saw the things that worked and the things that didn't work so i this was as aaron said this is game number three i lost game number one to matt he was running rangers ct and sabine and now is the rangers have always been a tough matchup for boxes that don't have dracotta this box did not have dracotta i had han ct and Jin. And then the rest of everything is kind of the same. Now, the reason I have CT and Jin is because I have got Wildfire and Wild Attack and one in a million all in my deck. And the whole. Right. So you double your chances to play Wild Attack yeah. without dealing with the dodge. Exactly. Exactly right. So the whole point of it is, is what one of those two figures is going to do is just do some massive alpha to Ezra. Right. Or not alpha, but I mean, the, the ability to do a very strong attack and not have to worry about a dodge is a big, big deal. So that like that, besides that, the list is pretty much, you know, you've got tools. There's not like a ton of other crazy things, obviously like second chance, veteran instincts, these newer cards that have clear value went in. But besides that, the biggest thing was CT and Jin going for this wild attack. One of them's going to pull off this wild attack combo. And they did. And it, I got to kind of spectate again in that first round and I watched that happen. It was great. Another thing that I, I thought added value to a figure who's still probably not quite worth his salt in CT. Mm. It was his ability to remove focus that yes. coupled with sound just obliterates Rangers yes. because they need that focus. I mean, yes. Jen made some hero plays. Uh, that was a really interesting match to watch for sure. Yeah. Jen's my absolute all, I mean, she was an all-star in my game against Matt. I, I lost. It was, it was very, very, very close. And the reason I lost was because he was able to pressure objectives and I was not. Um, right. But Jin, Jin and CT together, just those two figures went in, killed, I think all three of his Rangers. I killed Hera. I mean, this is just like two figures, just absolutely annihilating his back line. And so Jin was just an all-star all, all night. 
Yeah, so I think one of the more effective matchups, at least in the very kind of limited experience I have with the box, is that you either need a, uh, a an ability to kind of break that bunker. If you've got Dracotta with a lot of blast or a lot of guaranteed damage or uh, just a really great alpha strike, Vader in your face, you need something to just eliminate and focus down one of those figures before MHD has a chance to draw a miracle worker or even if he does you know before things get a chance to heal yep. you're killing C3PO to get rid of all of those extra evades which in the case of two of your bigger damage dealers is also an extra block yep. or B you can run objectives more effectively than the box is able to do without overextending. Yep. And that's what Matt was able to do in that skirmish, it looked like. Absolutely. No, that's absolutely right. That was why the box that I took to Worlds had two sets of Alliance Smugglers, because I needed to not be able to... Do, I needed to be better at that. Obviously, I didn't have that. Right. I, I went... Um, it, it was all all unique figures, so I was running heroic effort, and my card chart was off the chain. Um, but yes, I was much weaker with objectives. And against Spectre Cell, um, and I kind of found this out the hard way, even without the the smugglers, on some maps, if you're able to kind of pivot properly, you're going to outpace Spectre Cell in terms of objectives, if for no other reason than because your list requires all of the firepower focusing on the box in order to break it, mm. Um or like enough swarm to kind of apply pressure while doing objectives and yeah. specter cell doesn't have enough figures it's got not just six activations six figures total yeah. and so any objective running that i kind of tried to do to kind of keep pace ended up feeling like a big mistake because i sacrificed so much power, firepower i ended up positioning yeah. we, we played on um uh, the Moss Eisley back alleys, yeah. yeah. And it's points you have to control, not the box's side. Um, without Which without the smugglers, I, I felt okay about. It's like, okay, it doesn't have smugglers to pick up boxes. It's not that side of the map. Um, he's just got to control points, and his box needs to kind of be in one spot. So if I'm able to spread enough, I'm probably going to outpace and kill a figure or two and just end up having more points. Yeah. Instead, what happens is I kind of use I, I kind of have Ezra and Sabine and I, I split up Ezra and Kanan, that was a mistake too. But I kind of applied pressure or tried to with half of the list because I was overconfident in how good their attacks are to break through the box. Mm -hmm. It ended up having to sacrifice firepower in Kanan especially and Zeb to a smaller extent trying to control these points mm. a little bit farther away from the box. And by the time I could get them to catch up and realize the match was turning, and I just I, I had to kill figures, they were too far away. And I would play that completely differently in the future. I think in that matchup, I really needed to play aggro and just kill things as fast as possible um, yep. because the sacrifice to claim objectives was just too great. The opportunity cost for not attacking as often as possible with those big heavy hitters uh, ended up really uh, coming back to bite me. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think that's a great a great perspective on that in terms of like I think if with with Specter Cell, 
unless there are really good reasons to like otherwise that you should really think about, I think you're absolutely right. You've just got to be applying pressure all day, right? Like just get up in their grill and let them respond. Cause your guys were so tanky. You played stealth and I, Oh, you played stealth on cannon and rolled a dodge, right? Like yeah. you played, you know, you had brace, you had all your brace actually wasn't very good, but like, you know, like you had all these ways to keep adding defense you know, so that at, once you were finally in my grill, it was so hard to remove your figures. So, yeah. And uh, I think there are some maps that are a little more specter friendly in terms of objectives. So mm -hmm. my first matchup, I should have mentioned the map. It was on Tarkin and it was the terminals where the strain tone can kind of rotates and you get two points when you pass into space. Yeah. If your position's in a way that it either ends up being lucky because of where the strain token moves to or ends up being savvy for whatever reason you're able to kind of optimize the way your activations uh, resolve, there's no opportunity cost for those two points. Yeah, And that's where Sabine's whole, I'm just going to double move, I'm going to apply pressure so flexibly with those eight movement points, I'm still parting gift, um, and I, I got out four damage pretty consistently with parting gift and, uh, because you know, you got a 50, 50 chance of rolling the two. Yep. I was always hitting two figures yep. in one case. I dealt, I ate damage with oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so she's doing that while picking up two in a couple of cases, four victory points because of the way the strain token rotated at Basically, no cost to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so, and then Rebel Graffiti round one kind of compiled that. Yeah. And so I think they can play the victory point game from the map if they have to, That's a great and point. if the map is friendly. That is a, oh man, I'm going to actually have to think about that for a second because you are 100% right that Rebel Graffiti makes Sabine not like it is okay if you are not rapidly contesting objectives if you can draw rebel graffiti early oof, yep. oof. in fact scott negated it and so did you yes. round one yep you bet i did um i drew it round one three out of three matches wow oh and uh well to be fair um in two of those cases i needed planning to draw into it okay but i still had right. it in hand round one mm. and I, I mean having had it negated twice and it wasn't negated in the other instance. I think unless your list absolutely depends on it and the pacing is just such that I, I think it's very situational, the situation in which it's not worth negation. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it, it's more impactful than take initiative nine out of 10 times. Well, the reason, and so the reason why I actually negated it, because that's a great comparison with take initiative, like when you should do it, but I had initiative, right? So I am not, I'm not, you're not going to be taking initiative from me. So I know I'm not going to be able to use this. Like, what am I going to use negation on? Urgency, right? element, um, force rush, things like that. Planning, I would use it on planning. Um, I think I must have like R2'd or something after you would have done it. But like, I'm, you're thinking like, what is going to give him value? And if he is able to get off this continuing loop of rebel graffiti, that is going to give him value, right? As opposed to like, I don't need to worry about him taking initiative. So then it was a no brainer. If you are worried about your opponent taking initiative, 
I would actually probably not negate it round one. Like you're just going to have to let him eat the, the free points and hope that you're going to be able to control the take initiative swing. But I mean, the fact that we even have to talk about this tells you how good that card is. It is. And I think it also, whether or not you have negation in hand or need to save it for take, uh, really kind of dictates how much Sabine is a threat. Mm. Because I think a lot of the, the counterplay to Spectre Cell, even in the mirror match, is making informed decisions about which figure you're focusing down first. Yes. Because they're hard to kill, and it's going to take a lot of resources. And if you pick the wrong threat, you can get really punished. Yep. And that's and that that is a really nice segue, I think, into the final and the way that that unfolded. Uh, to kind of recap round three, um, I ended up just getting really outpaced by the time I tried to run Kanan and later Zeb in to support what Sabine and Ezra were doing. I was starting to lose figures because I wasn't removing attackers as quickly as I needed to to keep things alive. And I, I just ended up really getting outpaced damage-wise because almost half my list was off running objectives, and you can't afford to do that with Spectre Cell. Yeah. Um, and I also, and to be fair, I don't want to make it out to be a, a skirmish that I lost. I want to give due credit. Um, you teched this list for Spectre Cell specifically yes. in mind, and so uh, I, I think you were very successful in that and played it very well. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, you know, uh, uh, broken clock is right twice a day. Aaron, so. <laughs> Better to be lucky than good. That's exactly right. Dang straight. Another, and I, 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 I did another, actually get... Yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. And it's another great segue into the final. So there you go. I, I think... The mirror match kind of, uh, it, it, it swung based on, I'm going to say three things for the sake of clarity. Um, there are a lot more factors than that. You know, I felt like the dice luck um, was a big deal. Sure. Uh, attack dice, the dice luck was pretty even. However, and, and my command deck accounts for one of these. But I did roll three dodges. Oh, man. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it's got a decent amount of white dice. Sabine has a white die. And Ezra has a white die. And those are the figures you're probably attacking most often because Ezra is so threatening and so aggressive. And Sabine, especially if she's still got Rebel Graffiti, it hasn't been negated. Or if she's, you know... It, dropping free damage on you from parting gift all the time. Yeah. She can be a pretty pressing threat and she's got a white die as well. And then I've got, I've got uh stealth tactics and stealth tactics accounted for one of the dodges. I'm rolling two white dice. <laughs> it, it really helps your chances and it ended up paying off there. And that's dodge one. And then Ezra and Sabine each dodged uh, once just kind of on their own. Yeah. And, so that's thing one. And what kind of happened uh, in round one positioning is point what number What map two. were you playing on? We were playing on Tarkin, and this was okay. the weapons map. And so we both put, you know, kind of alternatingly the green and red weapons right in the middle of that big long lane. Yeah. And then on, on the end down by the doors, we've got the yellows. And on the end way up on the other side, we've got the blues. And we were we mirrored each other a bit there, and uh, so Scott had initiative round one, and 
what he had learned from the two the excuse me two casual skirmishes we'd done kind of toying with Spectre leading into this tournament is he he lives down the street from me and and we ended up meeting up to kind of play with some things and what had happened in the one mirror match we had played two days before the tournament is he had made a really great aggressive alpha play. He had tools for the job and pummel in his starting hand. And he brushed Ezra right up in my grill and just blew me up and beat me to the punch. And he'd removed Kanan before Kanan ever got to attack. Oh. And, and it just, it almost felt like the you just start swinging haymakers and whoever gets off a great one first is going to win. Puncher's chance yeah. to swing for the fences. Yeah. But I had had initiative in that matchup, and I actually, and it was the same map, same mission. And so I think Scott was thinking, okay, this worked before. This is likely to work again. I've got good card support again. And, and I don't want to speak for him, but that's how it seemed. But the difference, and this is a big deal, I think, with Spectre Cell and how aggressive you want to be with things like Brash and uh, when you decide to tap their card to get that extra attack, is whether or not you're going to go last. Mm hmm. Because he ended up getting ahead of the punch, and, and he got a decent attack off round one. And we were opening the doors. We were both playing pretty aggressive. Um, but he struck first blood, and I still had three figures that could respond. Mm. And I only ended up attacking with two of them. I, uh, I got off a parting gift, and Hera got off kind of – either Hera or Zeb, I can't remember which, got off kind of a – middling ranged attack and i got some damage out and didn't remove anything um but what that kind of allowed me to do is do chip damage while ezra forwent his attack to pick up a red weapon mm. because i figure okay this is round one uh against <laughs> yeah against yeah. specter um i'm pierce three helps but i'm probably i'm probably not going to remove anything if i attack with Ezra, I'm probably dealing four or five damage tops, or I can add that red die now and roll it. Oh man, five or six times if I'm using Spectre Cell and Ezra and optimize that, and I'm getting out way more damage in the long run, spending this action on the weapon than spending this action on the attack. <laughs> it ended up really paying off, and oh, and gosh. so and Ezra with a red die weapon is just monstrous it's a tools for the job six times throughout the skirmish oh which is just gosh. disgusting you know Ugh. it's it's and i never paired the two i actually uh tools for the job ended up being on the bottom of my command deck i never drew it but i essentially got it for free in rounds two three four and i think we even got if memory serves we got like halfway through round five mm -hmm. um and, and so Ezra got off four or five attacks with that red die. Wow. And Zeb got off two or three with a green die. That's value. And, and right so there. it yeah. On that map, it really felt wise to be aggressive, knowing even if you pay for it a little bit, uh, no one's gonna be able to alpha down a Spectre figure if it's not Hera or Chopper. Um, and so we both blew our doors open and ran for weapons. And by the time we kind of got there, um, because I had had the last activation in round one 
and Ezra ended up getting to the red. Scott just didn't have the action economy to pick them up, and I beat him to the punch, and those extra dice were... They were probably the difference. Mm. So that was one thing, the way that round one kind of turned. And then there were there were some dice shenanigans. I mean, it's better to be lucky than good. I rolled a couple of dodges that just were luck, and Scott didn't get any. Yeah, okay. I wanna I wanna bring something up about this though, because it's yes, you're absolutely right, right? Rolling dodges is it's a huge deal. We've all known that. It's it, that's a thing. However, the thing with Spectre Cell is that their dodges are devastating, right? Because like you're needing to do damage every time you shoot them. But it's also the, the nice thing about being a Spectre player is that you don't care if if Ezra rolls a dodge. You don't care if he's rolling like, I mean, that's obviously awesome. But if he rolls a block, surge block, he's got three block surge block, right? Like that's insane. And so you don't need dodges in order to make in, in order to keep your figures alive most white die figures are their health their cost is based on they're going to roll a dodge which is going to you know hopefully or they've got a chance to roll a dodge which will effectively you know double their health sometimes right like the but the point is is like they it, that's baked into them that's not the case with specter self right like they don't need dodges in order to stay alive and, so. and that's a really great point um and, and that's a valid asterisk because with extra armor I put two of the four block tokens on Ezra. Mm. And for two really impactful attacks, and I could kind of choose which ones they are, his average roll on a white die is four block surge block. Oh my god. With a Caden reroll. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, so I mean the dodges are big, but but that's a really valid point that with a reroll and your average die is either dodging or four block surge block. That's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a new thing. It is definitely a thing. Yeah. But he has 10 health. Um, he was the first figure that I ended up losing if memory serves. And I think that was the case in all three of my matches, plus the two practice rounds that, uh, I did with Scott earlier in the week because Ezra gets his value the way that we kind of figured it. The more aggressive he is, especially if he can get uh, either on the lamb or tools for the job to maximize his value early on, he's going to do enough work to justify his spot in the list. Not that you have a choice. Um, yeah. But but he does enough work before he dies if you play him aggressively and play him well that, that you don't mind if Ezra is the first one to go down, especially yeah. because the resources it takes to get through is built-in block and the extra built-in block from Spectre and the chance to dodge, the block tokens from extra armor. It takes so much to get through him that it, I'm fine if you decide to kill him first because it's going to take time, and in that time, he's just wrecking things. Yep. Yeah, this is exactly right. Yeah, and, and then the third thing that that I thought really benefited me in this match was that I had on the lamb the entire time. Mm. And I didn't play it until, I think, round three. Mm. But I had it the whole time. And that allows you to play so aggressively with Ezra. You've got four extra move points at the start of every round. You're probably getting off a couple of attacks if you're positioning him well. And it's fine if your opponent decides to play around that extra Spectre Cell attack from Ezra 
because that's limiting their position. They're having to respond to the pressure instead of applying it, at least in that wherever Ezra exists on the map. And someone else is probably uh, in a position to use it anyway, and so it's not that much of a loss. Yeah. And so with On the Lamb on my opening hand, uh, that really allowed me to play fast and loose with arguably my most threatening figure yeah. for more than half the skirmish. And Scott kind of, he did a good job of, of I, I guess, assuming I had it based on the way I was playing. He was, he was pretty savvy about that. He knew it was coming. He knew it was going to have to happen at one point. But Ezra's durable enough that I was able to kind of wait and save it for the one he really, really needed. And then I lammed. Mm. It just it, it just ruined the day. Um, even though he knew I had it in hand, it was going to have to happen sometime. The durability of these figures really allowed me to kind of play the skirmish as if I didn't have it in some ways or kind of bait into a really powerful attack yeah. where he invested a bunch. He super high rolled on damage. <laughs> he was going to just destroy Ezra. Mm. And that's when I played the card. Mm. And yeah. it kind of comes, it, it brings me back to one of, I've kind of talked a little bit about the things I feel more optimistic about in terms of Spectre Cell. I love the kind of, figuring it out process with the command card deck, especially since I'm not quite as active as some other players. I, I enjoy that part of the game and watching that kind of unfold as the world's top players all put their heads together and figure out what's optimal. But one of the negative things about Spectre Cell is that command card draw luck Mm. is a really big deal in the mirror match because if you get like on the lamb rebel graffiti and or negation or something like that or planning you know certain cards are especially on the lamb and rebel graffiti are just enormously impactful if you get them early and potentially not useful at all if you get them later i mean maybe rebel graffiti is going to get you a couple points later which is still hey pretty good for for zero points and Shout out to Ira Myers, who's a pretty uh, active player, very top tier player who, who um, made some comments early along uh, when Rebel Graffiti got spoiled and we're kind of talking about how impactful it would be. And I was trying to play devil's advocate on the forums a little bit, say, hey, let's let's wait and see how how impactful Spectre Cell is. We don't know if it'll be good. And. Um, I have to give credit where credit is due. He was 100% right about how impactful Rebel Graffiti has been. And if you get that round one, you're either burning a negation. Yep, which or you're feels getting, bad, man. Yeah, it feels bad. It, or you're getting six essentially free points. Mm. Man. And, and, and so I worry a little bit the mirror matches are going to come down a little bit too much luck mm. and in a game that has such an elegant design and has such a high skill ceiling at its you know highest levels of competition for top tier matches to come less down to one or two impactful decisions which they still will in some cases but a little bit less often 
than it's been in the past, it will depend on that. And a little bit more often than it has in the past, it will depend just on dumb luck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely, completely, completely agree. I think that like, I think, you know, I, I love Ira and I, and he, he gave me grace in our game where he beat me in the top 16 at worlds. Um, I do think my, my perspective on rebel graffiti is it is clearly a strong card and, we can say like broken card right in terms of like the value that it gives for its cost is too high it's totally fine right like because we think about it the same way with like on the lamb right or assassinate right or these um these blaze of glory right these cards that are too good right like the the value that they give when they're doing what they're like designed to do is too good and i totally get that with rebel graffiti i think though that there is this 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 point that I'm not saying that it's okay that we have something broken in there, but I think the, the approach to say is it's broken. Are there things that we can do to minimize its brokenness? Right. Like we, like the community has found strong ways to like respond to IG, right. With his blaze of glory. Right. Right. And assassinate, you know, there's like, there's, there's ways to adjust. It's not like my perspective is to think that this is like a card that fundamentally alters the game. I don't think I think that's where we're diving a little too far into yelling town. Yeah, a little too much Kenny rage there. Yeah, that's exactly right. We have a <laughs> channel for this on the Slack, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the term "broken" is a bit of a misnomer when it comes to this type of a design space. Uh, kind of coming from a background where I, I played a number of other games competitively on the tabletop. When you've got kind of an evolving meta state like you do in Imperial Assault or X-Wing or some collectible card game, Destiny, Magic the Gathering, something like that, and you've got a new wave of stuff, a bunch of new toys that the developers have worked really hard to come up with um, in terms of providing new and unique effects in the game, you're eventually going to come up with a few effects that at first glance people just don't know how to deal with because they are yep. so drastically different than what we've seen in the previous meta state. And yep. I think where you're getting one figure that with a card can just accumulate points. Yeah. That's, that's a bit new because you don't have to invest positioning for it. You don't have to invest an attack for it. You basically yep. just have to have the card in hand and to maximize its value, Sabine on the table. Yeah. And yeah, that does feel too good. Yes. But as you brought up, in half of the skirmishes you play, by average, you're not going to need to save negation for take. Uh, so you can afford to negate uh, Rebel Graffiti. If Rebel Graffiti was more expensive and therefore maybe proportionally costed better, well, now it can't be negated. And, and so I think when this idea was conceived, it, you can make the argument that maybe this was was an idea that should have been scrapped. But when this idea was conceived, I, I think zero points was really the right call. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that the card is impactful enough it only, if it only provides one victory point instead of two. I don't know that the card is impactful enough to justify its space in the deck. Um if it can only be played once, I mean, maybe it is, but there are a lot of good zero cost cards that are probably netting you more than two points in the right play. Yeah, absolutely. And if it costs more, 
there's absolutely no way to respond to it unless you're running spies. And if you're really going to burn um, something like comms disruption on Rebel <laughs> Graffiti, all of a sudden you're not using it on, you know, on the lamb or tools for the job or something that's that's a bit swingier and so i don't really know that there there was a different answer if this was the convention that they're going to try to introduce to the game and i'm always for things that are new and exciting rather than you know the same old hats yeah absolutely and i want to say so on this point brett if you're listening right like this is not this is not us saying that we're not saying that the card is not too good, right? Like, or that Brett, Brett's point is something that Aaron brought up earlier, which is that for no cost, this card gives you too good of a benefit. Totally, completely, 100% agree with that, right? Like on the lamb and yeah, see, because on the lamb is not, it is too good, right? But it is also a card that very much rewards a high skill cap, right? Like I have played Han so many times over the last year that knowing when to like commit him versus like wait when I've got on the lamb in the hand, what I want to bluff that I have on the lamb, right? Like there's all these like things you're thinking about. So while on the lamb is too good, I, it totally rewards high skill cap, right? I think blaze is the same way, honestly. Like, I mean, obviously mm, getting yeah. blaze and going in drop, you know, you can drop at the end of round one, but most of the time now people, when they play IG, they know to like hold back round one until they've got like what they need in order to, either force him to too strongly overcommit, right, in order to play Blaze. You know, like, there's just, like, things that people are talking about. I totally get that that is not the case with um, Rebel Graffiti, that, like, this card... No skill. Yeah, no skill, you just keep her back. But it's, like, that's also kind of... Like, that's something that's going to change, right? Like, people are going to change how they respond to Sabine. People are going to change how they play Sabine in order to maximize its value. So while I think the problem is, is that on the lamb, what happens is your opponent makes a huge attack which you have accounted for, you play on the lamb and that like completely just breaks the back of your opponent in terms of like if some big attack went down, right? Or in Miracle Workers the same way. But like the the thing with, but like until that happens, you're not seeing the points that on the lamb is getting you, right? Like every turn I have, and you, you like your discussion of your game with Scott, this is such an awesome example. Every turn you've got on the lamb in hand, that card is giving you points, right? Because you're playing the game in a certain way that it's giving you positioning where you can you can make these trades and your opponent doesn't know if you've got it right so he's going to have to think about this but the whole point is the card is giving you points while in hand even if like you're not seeing them on the table whereas rebel graffiti is you're seeing the points that that card is giving you right like every turn that yeah. card is giving you two points and i feel like that's kind of part of its problem and like what brett is saying in terms of like there's no skill cap required just like play the card keep her safe while you wait for Ezra and Kanan to like kill everybody, then send her in to mop up with all this stuff. I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, Brett's absolutely right. I think about the card being too good. Uh, I like to call this the tiger woods effect when it comes to like game design. Uh, there's an element that's been introduced to the game. That's unprecedented, unprecedented, excuse me. And that nothing else can imitate and that there's no way to mitigate. Mm. Right. Um, it's just completely changing the game. And until people figure out how to make up for that, you know, people, until people get good enough at other things to make up for the fact that, you know, someone's slamming the ball 400 yards down the fairway or, you know, every time, then 
it's going to feel dominant. Yeah. Right. But if, if you're a golf fan or even if you're not, um, to give you a little bit of an explanation for why I, I'm calling it that is that now the game has changed enough that that feature is not unique. And the way I think that relates to rebel graffiti is that it exists in lists that need it, mm. right? You can bring it into scum VP. You can, you've got an inspector cell. These are lists that don't run map objectives as effectively or need the points in, in Scum's case. And the, their opponents, if they're not running a mirror match, are going to be able to make up, you know, the four or six whatever victory points that Rebel Graffiti is giving you yeah. by getting a couple of more objectives throughout the course of the skirmish. Yeah. And so I'm not really sure with Spectre's complete inability to run objectives at an optimal cost in terms of what you're giving up to do it, that rebel graffiti is always going to feel unmitigatable. Mm. And the bottom line is that Brett is essentially correct in my opinion, in your opinion. Yeah. This is not in any way uh, like Brett Kelly, you're wrong about rebel graffiti. Yeah. This Brett. Is, yeah. Get out of here, Brett with your, <laughs> your doom and gloom. No, yeah, rubber right. graffiti is too good for its cost. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you can't run objectives, you know, the, like that hasn't already been a thing, a decision you have to make. Do I play the map? Is this a death match? You know, th that's nothing new, and I'm not trying to imply that it is, but uh, I feel that because it exists within lists that, you could argue might need the points, even if they are free, you know, skill free points. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that it upends the entire meta in a way that's unrecoverable. Yeah. So uh, let that be the silver lining to the dark cloud that I think is valid and well constructed in Brett's argument about the card. Yeah, sure, sure. And I mean, like, my, my, my final thought on it is, is that I think, I also think that Brett is right, in terms of the value too good. We've said that so many times, but I also want to stress that I know this is not something we should totally aim for in terms of like, designing a game that is like fit for a rigorous competitive environment. But it is so great to for a new player to get this list and say, here's this card, that is going to give you crazy good value, right? Like, and it is so, mm -hmm. it like teaches like, it's going to teach like such fundamental game concepts in terms of like pace, points, all of these things. And it's just like, we're just giving it to new players. And so I know that that is not ideal in terms of like, everyone has to deal with it. But that is something that I'm, I really like, especially because I do think eventually people are going to move on from Spectre Cell and that it's still always going to be this like, it just increases the, the floor on which Spectre Cell operates, which I like. I'm a big fan of. So, Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think with new players, like you mentioned, uh, that's the case. But also, if, if you're an, a player who's been around for a while, like I have, but doesn't play super often, you know, mm -hmm. Spectre Cell has been for better or for worse and scott because you know i ended up taking the store championship might argue it was for worse but <laughs> you know i was able to come back from a hiatus with a workable list without having to 
I don't know, reacquaint myself with the meta state. It was just good out of the box. Yeah, but like, see, see I think that goes. That's that's value for my dollar yeah. as a game. See, but I also think that's value for your opponents, right? Like, I think it's awesome. You know, I obviously there is. I love list building, and I mean, in, by list building, I mean like different combinations of the box. Right? <laughs> but like, I love, I love just like this idea of like tinkering. That's a huge, and I think lots of people do, right? Like, especially the more serious you are about the game, you're going to like that more. But I also think that it is indicative of your skill that you take this list that is like in a, the, the the list is like pre-built but your skill and your command cards and like the things that you're bringing to the list are not right so even though you have not been like playing as often as we have been playing um you know like in the sense of like you missed a few months like while we were playing you're able to take this list and win a store championship right and that's not because you didn't also play someone who was playing that list right and it's not because like you it's it's not because the list is too overpowered it's because it gives you the tools that you need in order to do well and that makes the community better right like that's that is a great thing for the community is that people have got an easy way to get good as opposed to like okay you're gonna have to play ig you're gonna have to play them in 60 games against you know 40 combinations of you know like lists so that you know what to do in all these situations i just think that i i totally get the the criticism but i also think that it is a great thing for the community to have something like this. So, well, let's look at the end game, right? Let's look at the end of this meta state or like this competitive season. Assuming we don't see any new releases or any unforeseen blister packs or anything like that between here and Worlds. Yeah. Right. So, worst case scenario for some people, let's say Specter Cell accounts for sixteen out of sixteen of the top cut. Oof. Okay, that's bad. Right. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. But I would rather see that than 16 Ugnaughts lists. Oh, fair. And we pretty much saw that two years ago. Yeah. So I think Spectre Cell is a more interesting mirror match than the Ugnaught mirror match. Uh, in that map rotation, if you got initiative in the mirror match, you just won. Yeah. You may as well shake hands the moment dice at the table and just concede if you didn't get initiative. That had been tested to death. Um, everyone had kind of figured out, like, okay, if you get Ugnaughts in a mirror match and you get initiative, you just win. So that's one-sixth of all competitive matches where um, a die roll is determining the result most of the time if, yeah. if you're a high-tier player and you kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, dark times, dark times. Yeah, dark, dark times. And so... We've been really spoiled, and it's a good thing, in this last year, or at least the last half of this last season, with a super diverse meta state. And yes, ideally that remains and continues to flourish, but if you're going to introduce a list that's just good out of the box, when you're, what, three years or more into the lifespan of a game like this, that's when... If it's going to happen at all, that's when you want that to happen. Because if you want to buy everything that's ever been released in Imperial Assault as a new player yep. to try to cobble together an, an interesting and competitive tier one competitive list, it's it's a big investment. Yeah. I mean, like, otherwise, like, in order to, like, in order to build the box, you have to buy every single expansion. Um, right. Maybe not Bespin and maybe not Twin Shadows, actually, now that I think about it. But you have to buy Hoth. You have to buy Jabba's. 
you have to buy um, part of the empire, obviously. And now you have to buy Tyrants of Lothal, right? Because second, I think Second Chance and Veteran Instincts are stupid good in the box. So, you know, like you're absolutely right. And actually I've heard people talk about um, IA as an LCG or just like in terms of like the LCG model, right? Like it's not yeah. a collectible card game. You know what you're getting. But the problem with that is that the weight of entry just gets heavier and heavier and heavier as the game progresses because you're not able to like in order to build a good game of thrones deck right like i don't know how this works exactly but you like you there's so many cards like there's so many cards that are in the total pool and i assume they're all valuable i'm like or uh viable or whatever like um legal i guess is the correct answer uh, unless otherwise eroded so that just means like everything like players need to buy all of these things right in order to in order to get into the game. And that's the same thing with IA, which again is an awesome thing about Spectre Cell. Right. And when you talk about like tinkering and design space, I think in the competitive scene, at least for the next foreseeable future, that's not going to exist as much in Spectre Cell as teching to beat Spectre Cell. Yep. And I think that is as interesting a challenge, as interesting a design space, if you will, Yep. Um, as anything we've seen as, you know, trying to come up with a list in the vacuum in some ways it, it, it might be more interesting or at least something new because you know exactly what you're teching for. You, it, there's like a measuring stick by which you can, re, you know, that you can continually reference these, you continue to tinker a list. And so, yeah. um, whereas if you're just we just get this big expansion, kind of like we did with um, Jabba's Realm or Heart of the Empire. No one really knew for the first few months what you were measuring against quite, right? Yeah. It took a little bit to figure out, okay, Elite Weakway Pirates, Hunter cards, that's what we have to beat or play. Yep. Um, we know that from the get-go here, but it gives us more time to tech against that. And I choose to look at that as not so much a silver lining in kind of a, a a dark and gloomy looking meta so much as the clouds are beginning to part a little bit the salt storm is beginning to pass yep. and now we have a really great healthy opportunity to tech against a really challenging list to beat and that may not be enough uh for some but i choose to be really excited about that challenge yeah i'm i, I completely agree I 100% share that optimism. It, like thinking about how to take previous, take the box and like build it to beat Spectre Cell has been really, really interesting to think about. And so I am, I am 100% on board with this. I am still open to the fact that Spectre Cell is going to be too good, and that like you know when Worlds rolls around, it's going to be like 50% of the field will be Spectre Cell. And if that's the case, I feel like that's that's unfortunate, um, but. It's not like, that's not, I, I guess I should just say, like, that would be an unfortunate scenario if that happened, but I don't think that's exactly where we're going to go. I right. think I think the problem will be somewhat solved, right? Like, Vader was somewhat solved and Hunters were somewhat solved. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I share your optimism. I completely share your optimism. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. We might get to May and you're either playing Spectre or you're starting every match with a bit of a handicap and mm. that that would feel bad and I, I think that's possible, right? But yeah. I think unless you're an ultra, ultra competitive player and really all you care about is 
is that one tournament in the middle toward the end of May-ish once a year, then that's a concern. Yeah. But I think it's really telling that Spectre Cell is everyone's, like, worst nightmare. And yet, the first big tournament we all participate in, what is a pretty lively and competitive local community here in northern Utah, there were two out of ten who played it. Yeah. Uh, and, and people aren't going to want to. And that's, I think that's encouraging as we go into regionals as well and, and some of these smaller kind of kit tournaments, quarter three, quarter four, quarter one next year. I don't really know that everyone's going to want to play Spectre Cell if it looks like the number one most optimal thing all the time. Yeah. And so you're not going to have to worry about a stale meta really unless you're going to Worlds or like a major continental or national championship. Yeah. And realistically, I mean, at this point, what we're looking at is regionals, right? Like we'll right. see how we'll see how the Q3s, um, Q3s go, regionals, Q1s, and that's Worlds. So it's going to, like that will be the next meta season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all shakes down. But you're yeah, it'll be exciting. Right. Yeah. All right, well, we have gone on a little long. We've had a few yeah. technical issues, which have kind of caused us to stop and start. What I wanted to be a discussion of the strengths um, and weaknesses of Spectre Cell. We'll have to shelve that. We'll, we'll, maybe what we'll do is we'll do that after we've had a little bit more experience with it. Has, well, we've talked a little bit about how it struggles on map objectives, but it's really good at, at playing aggro round one, yeah. et cetera. But. Yeah, that's true. That has been gleaned. But I think I, I would like this episode to be thought of as kind of an apology <laughs> for Spectre Cell, you know, like in the in the, in the the classical sense, right? Like not, it it is what Spectre Cell I think is going to do for the meta is a good thing. And I was talking, um, we released our episode with Lucas Davidson today. We were talking and he, he is not a rebel player, right? Like not like, you know, we're rebel players in that we've been playing, like we've played rebel things repeatedly. He is, I think more of an empire guy. It, it plays to more of his strengths in terms of like, he's got an unbelievably strong game sense. I think it comes from him playing chess. And so like empire just works for him. He doesn't need to worry about getting lucky. He just needs to worry about making the right decisions, which he almost always does. Um, but his thought is like rebels need to be broken out of the focus, like hole up focus, explode on the next round um, play style. Right. And obviously it hurts to have that happen right when you're the rebels who it's like, if you're the box, I mean, kind of relies on it, but kind of not right. Cause I'm, I'm really holding up and I'm really punishing anyone who comes in. But like Han Rangers, it is really sad to think that like Han Rangers has, it's not like that it has been completely, you know, it's not unplayable, I don't think, but it is, it is so clear, like it is so clear from watching games in which Rangers are playing against doubt, how punishing doubt is right. um, in terms of like those Rangers losing the focus is just brutal. So I, like my, the whole, my whole thing I'm trying to say is, I think that what Spectre Cell is going to do for the meta is a good thing. And so in terms of it's going to shake it up, it's going to give us this, like, we're going to have six months, seven months before Worlds to kind of solve it, figure it out. And, you know, we'll see where we're at at that point. So Yeah, and I feel the same way about Doubt, if I can mention that briefly, because that's that's another thing that people were very, very concerned about. And I think those concerns are valid. Doubt has had a huge impact. But ultimately, that impact leads to change, and change is good in an evolving meta state in a competitive game and so i think it'll be a net positive 
Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a little less sanguine on that, but yeah. that's also because I'm more affected by it. And I feel like I feel like um, we, we you know we've gone round this horn so many times, <laughs> right. and I, I like I I truly have like I totally understand the perspective of people who are like who are okay with doubt. I completely understand it. I think they make valid points. I don't think it's I don't think it's worth discounting anybody in this calculus. It's more about like their trade offs, right? Like this is something economists always always say. Like you know it's like all choices involve trade-offs and what doubt it is clear that doubt does something strong. Okay. Now it, and that has both positive effects and negative effects and it's a trade-off. And are we willing, like, do we think that the trade-off is good? And I think for a lot of people that kind of comes down to whether or not you're on the receiving or the, you know, that you're, you're getting the benefit of the trade-off or like suffering the loss of the trade-off, but still like we, we can, we can understand like where we're all operating. Doubt is not an awful thing and it is also not the best thing. And it's just helpful to kind of think about that as, as we, as we're talking about this and as we're trying to solve the specter cell problem, it's the exact same thing, right? It's not good or bad. They're just trade-offs. So anyway. Yeah, I completely agree. It's been a pleasure. There you go. We've rambled a little bit, but Aaron, I have rambled. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on your you you took the final store champ of the season. So you are officially the reigning champion of our local meta. <laughs> For now, I'll have to take another big hiatus so that I can keep I can hang on to that. There you go. Well, hey, I, well, I mean, I'll never play again. Regionals, obviously, <laughs> that's it. He's done. He's going out on top. Um, but uh, we want to thank you for coming on. Congratulate you on your incredible success. And we all look forward to solving the, the specter cell problem um, or the specter cell question, I guess I shall say. <laughs> and we want, to, we want to encourage everyone to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com and support us on Patreon. They're going to patreon.com slash zionsfinest. Aaron, thank you again. <laughs>